I've shared a couple times over the last few weeks that um, in the several of the a couple of the previous weeks, um, I had spent some time in Colorado Springs. Uh, I'm sorry, not in Colorado Springs, in Steamboat Springs in Colorado. There it is. Um, and the hot springs. I, I talked to you about the hot springs, right? That that they're this ever moving supplying source. And we talked about that last week with Jesus saying, I'm, I will be a spring of life in you. And, and the thing about the hot springs that, that is so interesting to me um, is, is that they're believed to have healing powers because of, of the, this geochemical reaction that causes them to be hot springs. And so I'm not going to describe to you that geochemical reaction because um, I don't want to talk down to you this morning. Because I have no idea how it works. That's also part of the reason I won't explain it to you. Um, I know that they believe it's that the water is seeded by magma, which is interesting. Um, and then there's these other chemicals in it that cause it to be hot in the hot springs, right? Even in the dead cold of winter, um, there's these hot springs. And so um, Steamboat Springs is this this cool little town. And the retreat center uh, where we visited, by the way, this is just a parenthesis. I'm chasing a rabbit here. Let's go check out this rabbit together. Um, so because I want to say something. Uh, so this retreat center was like, hey, the place is available Thanksgiving week. Why don't you bring your family back? And because of y'all's generosity for our anniversary Sunday, uh, we were able to book flights. And so I'm going to get to take my family back up there for Thanksgiving week, thanks to you. So thank you very much. Now we will leave the rabbit and get back on the trail. And here's the trail. I'll get to take them to see the springs. And the thing about standing next to the springs, the first time I went, because a few weeks ago, the first time I went was with my brother Greg. It is this beautiful view of this stream that's fed by the springs and the leaves were bright yellow and the white bark of the aspen trees and this beautiful bridge is right there in this moment. And then all of a sudden I'm standing there in this beautiful moment and I went, dude, and if you know my brother Greg, you know, but come to find out it was a whole different kind of gas that I was smelling, it actually wasn't my brother's fault. Come to find out, <laughs> in this geochemical reaction, there's sulfur in it. And so what I thought was Greg was actually um, a lot like Greg. Um, kind of like rotten eggs, you know. Uh, and so the, I'm, I'm like, man, this moment's kind of ruined a little bit by this smell. And so I was talking to my friend, Sean Edwards, about this. And he said, yeah, people who hang out in the hot springs, like in the freezing cold of winter after they're skiing, they'll go get in the hot springs. He said, but then you've got to go shower because people will know you've been in the hot springs. Like it lingers on you. And here's the thing about the spring of life. When we've been waiting in the presence of Jesus, people can smell it on us. People can tell we've been somewhere near the presence of life. That's going to be our focus this morning. So please grab your Bible if you would today or your tablet or whatever you use. And we're going to invite you to join with us in our tradition here as we hold our Bibles up and say our creed together before we jump in. So let's say this together uh, with some conviction this morning. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind 
and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to John chapter number four. Now, we're not going to read everything that we've covered up to this point this morning, but I do want to give a quick overview. And then we're actually going to read a good bit of the rest of John chapter four uh, as we work through it together this morning. But it starts off with Jesus uh, passing through Samaria. The disciples leave him alone. They go into town to get food. Jesus is at Jacob's well And a woman of Samaria comes to the well and Jesus asks her for a drink of water, which shocks her because Jewish men did not speak to Jewish women, uh, let alone with enough dignity to say, hey, can I have a drink of water? And they engage in this conversation and, and she says, I'm shocked that you're talking to me. Jesus said, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And she said, are you better than Jacob? He gave us this well. You don't even have anything to draw from. And Jesus said, the water in this well, when you drink of it, you'll be thirsty again. But the water that I offer, you will never be thirsty again because it will be a spring of life welling up in you because only Jesus can satisfy the longings of the human heart. She said, please give me this water. He said, "Okay, go call your husband. She said, "Uh uh-oh. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You've had five. And now you're with somebody who isn't your husband. And she said, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) But notice that language. I perceive. I can see there's something about you that's different. And because she perceives him as a prophet, she tries to change the subject from her relationship status She says, hey, so the Jewish people say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. My people say this is where we're supposed to worship. What do you think? And then that's where we'll jump back into the text, our core text for this series that we've been in for five weeks. Verse 23. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit And in truth, this transformed moment, there's an hour coming and the hour is here in the person of Jesus where worship is not about a place. It is not about ritual. It is not about routine. It is not about checking something off the box. It's not about trying to keep God from being angry at us. The hour is coming and is now here where worship is now this enjoyment of the presence of God, fully engaged with our hearts and our minds because of his grace. Because of his goodness and because of his presence, those kind of worshipers, heart and mind, spirit and truth, our passion and our focus that we're learning and we're loving, that growth, it says the Father is seeking for such people to worship him. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know That Messiah is coming. He who's called Christ, this promised one, the anointed one, the future savior, the one that every prophecy pointed to. I know he's coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. She's basically saying, I know you're trying to explain worship stuff to me. This doesn't totally make sense to me, but I know somebody's coming who's going to make sense of all this. Verse number 26, Jesus said 
to her, you're looking at him. (laughs) I who speak to you am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I'm the promised one. I'm the anointed one. I am the fulfillment of every promise you've ever hoped in. I've heard people say a lot in my life that Jesus never claimed to be God. And apparently those people have never read John chapter 4 because the Messiah can't be one of us. Only God can fulfill all of the prophecies of the coming anointed Messiah from God. And when Jesus says, I'm him, Jesus is saying, because I am God in the flesh. One of the prophecies about the Messiah who would come is that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. How's that for transformation? Jesus said, you perceive I'm a prophet. Look closer. I'm God. I'm the Savior of the world. This morning, I would submit to you that true worship sees Jesus for who he is. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lord. He's the God of all gods. He's the promised fulfillment of the hope of the nations. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's the beginning and He's the end. He is the wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's every promised whisper of who the Messiah would be totally fulfilled in flesh and blood. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is a great leader. You betcha, but that's not all he is. Jesus was a good friend. Absolutely. But he's way more than that. Jesus was a healer. Yep. And more. Jesus is nothing less than God himself manifest for the hope of the world. That's who Jesus is. True worship sees Jesus for who he really is. Because when I see Jesus for who he is, I see everything else differently. When we come together as God's people to worship, which isn't true worship's not relegated to this moment. But when true worshipers come together, we don't come together to actually see each other. Today, the best thing that can happen is not for you to see your friends here. That's a great thing. The best thing that can happen while we're together is that we'll see him a little clearer than we did yesterday. True worship sees Jesus for who he is, because what we see changes us. What we see transforms us. It's a really interesting article from the Wall Street Journal this week. This article talked about the fact that in the past 12 months, Doctors around the world have seen a huge increase, a spike in teenage girls in their offices who were having what seemed to be Tourette's type of tics. And yet as they examined these teen girls, they discovered there was no diagnosable evidence of actual Tourette's. And so the medical community has been studying, why are we seeing this huge spike? And what they believe it is, it is a Tourette's syndrome influencer increase through TikTok. So TikTok is a social media app for everybody over 30. (laughs) It's like Facebook with just videos that are shorter 
um, and don't make any sense. But anyways, so on TikTok, there's this big wave of Tourette syndrome influencers. Influencers, the fact that we call a group of people online influencers really is enough. As of Thursday afternoon, hashtag Tourette's and hashtag Tourette's syndrome videos on TikTok have been viewed over six billion times. And so we're seeing a response of people who are watching a lot of these influencers videos are starting to mimic their behavior. You know why? We become what we behold. Poet William Blake said that. I didn't come up with that. We become what we behold. We start acting like what we have fed our minds with. Psychologists call it mirroring. You'll find yourself with your arms crossed talking to somebody and realize, well, they had their arms crossed. Is that why I just crossed my arms? They have their hands in their pockets. Next thing you know, you're talking to them like this. We tend to mimic without even realizing it. Which is the hope. You know, the guy who wrote this account of the woman at the well, John the Apostle, he also wrote three other epistles. In 1 John chapter 3, he tells us that there's coming a great day where Jesus will appear and we shall become like him, for we shall see him as he is. <laughs> we'll finally be transformed to be the, all the way like Jesus. I know some of you think you might already be there. The rest of us will be transformed to be all the way like Jesus when we finally see him as he is. Because what we see changes us. And so if we can continue to look away from what we're worried about and away from what we desire in this world and away from what distracts us and look to Jesus, we will be transformed into true worshipers. (laughs) Because the more we see him, the more we'll love him. And the more we see him, the more we will want to think about him and learn about him. What we see changes us. This article in Axis said this, there is a principle at work in our world. What we are exposed to shapes who we become. So if we only glimpse Jesus when we come together once a week, is our worship really being transformed into spirit and truth, worship as a way of life, true worship? True worship sees him in the mundane, in the routine, in the beauty and in the pain for who he is. He's the savior of the world. Now, I want us to read uh, uh, most of the rest of the text here. So buckle up and, and let's let's press through this a little bit together. Verse 27, there's a scene change, right? In the little Christmas play, it's like, disciples, enter now. They come walking into the scene. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled. I love that word. They went, what, what? They they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Come on, where's the daughters of God? Isn't that awesome? That's right. That's Jesus. I'll be happy about it for you, I guess. 
They marveled, but no one said, what's up, Jesus? <laughs> what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? I love that. They knew better. They're like, you know, usually when we question him, it doesn't go well for us. Let's just trust him on this. So the woman, everything changes at this part of the story, y'all. The woman left her water jar and went away into town, the, the town where she was rejected, where she had a reputation, where she was an outcast, and said to the people, come see. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Again, such a strange message. When, when you've got that reputation, it's just weird that her invitation was, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did, right? I would be like, well, if he called you out, I mean, it means he's going to call me out. I don't want to go see him. But there was something about her that made that difference compelling. Come see a man. Verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus is always talking on another level. And they're like, huh? I feel so bad for him. The disciples said one another, who brought him? Like, they're like, did he have like some beef jerky in his satchel that we didn't know about? Why did we go to town if he had food? I'm so confused. Like, did he have some Cheetos? I don't know. I love their confusion. And Jesus says to them, he's like, guys. We are not talking about a 7-Eleven run. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, namely to be the sacrificial lamb slain before the foundation of the world. My will, my food, my purpose is to keep walking towards the cross. Do you not say there's yet four months, then comes the harvest? Here again is this language. Look, look, look. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. When we see Jesus for who he is, we see people for who they are. People in desperate need to see what we've seen. Right? It's the reason you share pictures on your social media account that nobody actually cares about. Because it matters to you. And so you're like, y'all got to see what my dinner looked like. And you're like, that's a sad looking spaghetti and meatball. <laughs> but it meant something to you, right? You're like, look at my cute cat. And we're like, ugh. <laughs> my kid just won 17th runner up of student of the month, you know, and we're, you're so happy, right? We assume that the people we care about want to share in the monumental, the important moments. And Jesus is like, if you've seen me, look. 
they need to see me too. Like right now, the fields are white for harvest. Jesus is talking about a moment where there's a, there's a move of God in this city, in this moment. We're about to read the rest of it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Where he's like, they're ready for something better. <laughs> they're ready for a different kind of a taste of water. And good grief, if the last 19 or 20 months have shown us anything, we are surrounded by people who need the hope of Jesus Christ. We're surrounded by a world who keeps looking to everything and everybody to be their savior. They're literally looking for the Christ in the form of a politician. God help us all. We're looking to a vaccine to be the Christ. Or a non-vaccine to be the Christ. There you go. Now everybody's offended. Looking to a mask to be the Messiah or the right to not wear a mask to be the Messiah. The reality is this. There's only one who ever fulfilled that job title. His name's Jesus. And the more we see him, the clearer we will see the people who need to see him too. I should keep reading the text. Verse 36. Already... The one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. He's literally saying, God's already at work. Get in on it. <laughs> That's so good. Ooh. Receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sewer and, and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds truth. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and have entered into their labor. God's been up to something. We're going to keep talking in just a minute about, and he's still up to something and he's going to keep being up to something, but we'll circle back there in a minute. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, this nameless outcast sinner, lonely person receive dignity and value and life and purpose in the presence of Jesus and was used by God to change her city. We don't read that in John. Those of you who've been tracking with us through this, these five weeks, remember this comes after John chapter three, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, right? After this is the, the political ruler, the guy who works in the King's court, and in neither of those awesome stories do we see, and everybody in their city was radically changed by the power of Jesus. No, it's smack dab in the middle. The nameless outcast, the woman who's been rejected, who God uses to turn his city upside down. Hallelujah. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Because if we really experience the presence of Jesus, we want more of it. Because he's the God who satisfies and leaves us thirsty for more. We talked about that last week. And many more believed because of his word. And that's the true goal of having a testimony. Is that they'll listen to our testimony long enough to hear the voice of God for themselves. 
They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Literally the goal of every opportunity of ministry here at temple is that you'll hear from God for yourself and come to believe for yourself that he's the savior of the world. As moms and dads, there's got to come a point where they don't believe because of our words. They believe because they've heard his word. And this is what God did. And the reason God's doing this in this little city in the middle of Samaria is because God wants his people to see people. When we see Jesus for who he is, that's true worship. And when we see people for who they are, that's true worship too. (laughs) Because when we see Jesus for who he is, we realize that he sees us. And we're like, man, if God in his majesty, his glory and grace would see a busted up, broken person like me, other people need to know about this. This is so cliche. I, I literally struggled to get these words out of my mouth. It's just amazing to me how many uninformed people have become medical experts about COVID in the last 20 months. And if we would speak with that much authority about the person of Jesus, what would this city look like? Like we don't even know what we're talking about, but we're so confident about it. But if you've actually met Jesus, you do have something to say that can change the world. And that's not so my church people in the room, like you've been in church, you'd be like, I thought this was worship transformed, not evangelism transformed. Okay, if we eat or drink or all that we do for the glory of God, then pointing people to see Jesus for sure falls under that umbrella. Which means worship is not the singing of songs, the playing of instruments, the display of lyrics. When worship is a way of life and we live and breathe and move and have our being for his glory and for our joy, when we live for the glory and renown of God, then going to a cubicle is evangelism. Because people will smell something different on you. They'll say, hey, how is it that we go to the same well, but you seem more satisfied than me? His name's Jesus, that's how. Come see a man. The more we see him for who he is, we will see people for who they are. Things have changed in regards to the story of Jesus in specifically the U.S. in the last 20 months in a way that deserves a conversation this morning. You know, the Metroplex is full of churches. Almost all of those churches are less full today than they were 20 months ago. In the last few months, for the first time in the history of the United States of America, less than 50% of Americans consider themselves religious. I can't stand that word. But at least it's on the right path, right? Less than half of Americans, for the first time in our history, we've proudly been a religious nation for all of our history. 
until this minute. Like, do you get this? Like, this is a monumental time. If Jesus is who he says he is, and if we've experienced in him what we say we have, then it matters to us that the culture around us is rapidly changing. For the first time in our history, less than 50% of Americans say they have any interest in any of this, which is amazing because 20 years ago, it was over 70% of Americans. That's a radical change in a really short window of time. Uh, A different study was done that said 60%, 60% of Americans said they will not step foot in the door of a church or synagogue or temple this year. A radical change. Only 24% of Americans consider themselves churchgoers. And we all know the definition of churchgoers has changed a lot, right? Like that bar's gotten pretty low. Here's how low the bar is for this researcher's definition of churchgoer. You attend more than Christmas and Easter. Three Sundays a year equals churchgoer in this survey, and less than 24% of Americans could pass that bar. And I'm not saying that to dog on the culture, to dog on what. I'm just saying that to say, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to point people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. What an opportunity to shine his light in the darkness. The darker it gets, the brighter the light is. Let's go. Look at the fields and see that they are white already to harvest. I don't know what we're waiting for. I don't know what better moment there could be for us to say, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and I'm not going to work. I'm going to mission. I'm reporting for duty as a person who's experienced something that's worth sharing. And I'm not going to walk into work with a megaphone and be the obnoxious, you better go to hell or like whatever. No, I'm going to go live out a life that's tasted of the living water. The conversations I'm having with people is that people are exhausted and discouraged and despaired. And I feel like we are in a famine of hope in our culture. What an opportunity for those who've seen the God of all hope to step into the story and say, come see something better. That's worship. That's true worship. Because hear me, church, if we just come sing songs week in and week out and then go live a life that doesn't smell like Jesus, I don't mean that disrespectful. That's not true worship. It might be worship and it might be going to church. But if we really see him for who he is, we'll see people for who they are. It'll change the way we see everything. This great quote from C.S. Lewis says this, I believe Christianity is true for the same reason I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but by it, I see everything else. We see Jesus 
And through him, we see everything else differently. Those are the lenses of the true worshipers. Which means worship isn't songs. And we call this the worship team or the praise team. And I think that's appropriate, but they're just musicians. What they are doing is not more worship than someone who's changing a diaper this morning in the nursery. That's worship. It might smell worse, but it's worship. The sheepdog who is standing outside in the sun right now. Doing security is worshiping the door holder in the kids wing who has two words, their whole line. Good morning. That's it. That's their whole job description. Good morning. That's worship. And the people who play instruments and sing songs are leading worship, too. And this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock on this hill, as people are going to be dressed up in awkward costumes, and we're going to have trunks handing out Twix bars and Skittles and Starbursts, that's for the glory of God. Because we do not do this event primarily to have fun. We always have fun doing this event. And it's always fun to do it together every year. But that's way down the list of why. The reason we do this is because just maybe a person who is starving of hope will bring their kid up here to get some Skittles and engage in a conversation that just might lead to the living water. That's why we do that. Almost every year we've done this event. There's been somebody whose life was off the rails that we've ended up connecting with. And some of you are sitting in this room right now. That's why we do this. Because that's worship. Those of you who are going to show up early and grill hot dogs and wrap them up, that's for the glory of God. Those of you who are going to dump garbage bags afterwards, that is for the glory of God. Matter of fact, that's the most glory God can receive. So please stay afterwards and help us dump. The- <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just serious. Um, That's why we do that. It's for the glory of God. The reason that there are these holiday bags on the back table that we're asking you to take and go put those items in it is because there are people all over these zip codes around us who will not have a Thanksgiving meal unless the body of Christ says, hey, we have hope to spare in the form of a box of stuffing. And even cranberry, like Whatever it takes, man. That's a little sack of worship. That's what that is. People experiencing tangible hope and love from the body of Christ. That's for the glory of God. The reason that Lance is currently talking to some families in the community next door to us to find out how we can help love on their family for Christmas It's not just because we get warm fuzzies when kids have a good Christmas. That's a cool benefit. No, it's because 
when we give a kid a matchbox car in the name of Jesus Christ, he's glorified. It's for the glory of God. It's the reason that in a couple weeks we're going to start asking you to sign up to serve at the Christmas Eve service. Remember I told you that bar for churchgoers? In the last several years, Christmas Eve has gone above Easter as the sun, or the, the service of a year that people far from God might show up. More people who need to hear about Jesus are, are likely to come to a Christmas Eve service more so than even Easter. We don't do that because we have nothing to do on Christmas Eve. I'll be honest with you, I didn't grow up going to a Christmas Eve service. It totally messes with my personal traditions. It is a personal inconvenience for the glory of God. That's why we do these things. It's also why about 35 cents to every dollar that passes through this ministry goes to the nation's support missionary partners and projects and trips and all over the world. The impact that this small church has around the world is extraordinary. Why? Because we've seen Jesus and we think everybody else should too. Among every nation and tribe and language and people. It's the reason we hurt ourselves financially to support a place of hope Africa. Our orphanage in Nigeria and Walton Karen Troop are here today. It's the reason we partner with them and send our friends away. We say goodbye frequently to friends. And they say goodbye to their kids and grandkids frequently. To be compassionate? Sure. For the glory of God. That's why. Sit next to them as the Hicksons. Our friends at Noah's Ark Children's Home in Jamaica. They're just about to go back to Jamaica. The troops and Hicksons are passing each other. They are going to say some hard goodbyes in just a few days to their grandkids and their kids. And go back to a difficult place for the glory and renown of a worthy God. That's why. As a matter of fact, John Piper said missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason there's such a thing as missions is we want to see people who are forgotten and despaired experience the joy of Jesus and become worshipers of him. It's the reason that we support these people and these projects. It's the reason community groups matter to us. And by God's grace, we believe in January we're going to relaunch community groups. And I'm just pre-warning you, I'm going to nag you like crazy about getting back in a community group. Here's the thing. Y'all need to understand this. Like, (laughs) our leadership team doesn't pay me a bonus if I get a certain percentage of y'all to go to community group. I have no personal investment in that. Although, uh, I'm open to that. Discussion. No, I'm just um, <laughs> All of that energy and encouragement is because we believe God's glorified when the people of God live life connected. It's worship. I know nobody plays the guitar. You sit around and have conversations about the Bible and pray for each other, and God is glorified in that. By the way, 
I said this on Wednesday night at our group on campus. Listen, the culture can put on such a better show than the church. But what the culture can't touch that we offer is community among the body of Christ. You can't duplicate it. You can't replicate it. You can only find it here. And God's glorified in that. That's why we do it. It's the reason that there's folks serving preschool students and toddlers. They're chasing toddlers around with fruit snacks and goldfish crackers. Because we want to see God glorified in their hearts. We've seen Jesus and we want them to see him too. Essentially, all of this effort. You know what the mission statement could be for Temple Days and for Temple Christian School? You know what our mission statement really could be? Look. Come see him, man. Just see him. If you could just see Jesus. For the glory of God. If we're convinced he's worthy, if we're convinced he's that good, if we're convinced he's that much life, if we can see that, then we're going to want other people to see it too. One last thing, I'm, I'm almost done. I want to circle back to the very beginning of the story. Verse number four. It's the shortest verse in this whole deal. It's talking about how Jesus is on his way somewhere else. And it says he had to pass through Samaria. And if you remember, I told you, no, he actually didn't. Like not geographically, he didn't. What we believe historically is the majority of Jewish people would have actually intentionally not passed through Samaria. So what does that mean? That he had to go that way. We get a glimpse of why he had to go that way and what when he talks about his his lunch. My sustenance is to do the will of him who sent me. That's why he had to pass through Samaria. Because he was on mission for his father to advance the kingdom of God. That was his mission then. That was his mission in the Garden of Eden. And that's still his mission today. And that will be his mission until he makes right everything that is wrong in the world. He has to. (laughs) He can't help himself but spread hope. He can't help himself but advance life. And this morning, we're not trying to guilt trip people into thinking more about how other people are doing spiritually. No, we're saying get on board with what God's already doing. There's already a harvest and there's already sowing taking place and there's already reaping taking place. And it's been taking place for centuries. And we get invited into that great opportunity to rejoice in that harvest. He's on mission. He has to be. (laughs) And nothing will stop the advancement of his mission. I know a lot of us have felt like our cause has not been a winning cause in the last 20 months. I'm just telling you, there's no stopping this one. Next week, I'll be starting a sermon series called New. About the fulfillment of this mission. A new heaven and a new earth and new life and new hope and new joy 
when everything that is wrong is finally made right. In the meantime, he invites the true worshipers to see him as he is. To see other people as they are. To point them his direction.